is the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. This is the Steelers Standard with Tom Offerman and Jacob Reck. Jacob, question for you. Do you know what the autumn wind is? The autumn wind? Yeah, do you know what the autumn wind is? It's a cool breeze. Is that that a sign that football is here? No, Jacob. Ah. The autumn wind is a raider. The raid. Oh, that old, that old NFL film. <laughs> Vegas Raiders coming to town Sunday to kick off Heinz Field's 2021 season home opener for you fans. One o'clock kickoff. We're going to talk about the Raiders a little bit here. We will break them down more in depth on Friday on our final episode before the weekend. But right now, Jacob, kind of zooming out and looking at things, you know, from an aerial perspective, not looking at individual players. You're a West Coast team. You played on Monday Night Football. It went into overtime. You played against the Baltimore Ravens in that overtime game, which is a very physical opponent to play against. Mm -hmm. Now you have to travel all the way across the country on a short week to play at 1 o'clock Eastern time, which biologically for your body is 9 a.m. for you. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of uphill sledding that the Raiders have to do in this game. Absolutely it is. I don't know what true grit the Raiders will have coming off of this week one upset of their own against Baltimore, but they have a lot to prove if they want to be considered serious contenders in the AFC. Uh, If they want to be the Pittsburgh Steelers, that'll definitely be the case, but I, I don't know exactly how capable they are of doing so. Yeah, I I don't know how capable they are either because of the circumstances surrounding this game. Tim Benz mentioned on the Countdown Kickoff show last night that teams after they play the Steelers, after they play the Ravens, are terrible against the spread. I mean, just awful, whether that's at home, away. The two most physical teams in football for the past decade, and that still rings true in 2021. So the Ravens definitely had a slugfest on their hands against the Ravens on Monday night. And yeah, I, I think that just matchup wise, I think the Steelers match up okay against this Raiders team and shouldn't have problems with maybe just one person on that offense might give them problems. And we'll get to him in just a second here. But overall, I, I think this just sets up perfectly for the Steelers. They're five and a half point favorites. I think they can win this game by more than a touchdown. And I, I think that it's going to be avoiding that typical Tomlin loss that I think people are kind of perking their ears up when the Raiders come to town because more often than not, that Tomlin loss comes at the hands of the Oakland Raiders, now the Vegas Raiders. So mm-hmm. I think teams are a little, or fans are a little bit worried when they see that silver and black come into Heinz Field or if they go to uh, the West Coast to play them. But I don't know. This year just seems like the perfect storm for the Steelers to, to take care of business. You can make the case the opposite direction, though, Tom. To have an upset win against the Bills, you're kind of riding a high thinking we're unbeatable. I mean, people want to sleep on us all year long, but look what we do week one. And then they have this home game, their home opener for the first time with a a, a packed Heinz Field. And to me, that kind of spells like a recipe for an upset for the Raiders. They love coming into Pittsburgh. Oh, no. They love to come into Pittsburgh Don't and beat the Steelers. Don't say that. They do. Derek Carr did it. I think he almost did it. It took 298 yards receiving or 97 yards receiving by Antonio Brown to lock up the win for the Steelers the last time. Uh, the Raiders made a real effort winning in Pittsburgh. I think that game was 2015. 
Um, but 297 yards of Antonio Brown, that's what it took to beat the Raiders by only three points. Well, that, okay, well, that's what I was going to say. The Steelers have lost three of their last four games to the Raiders, and the one that they won was 38-35. to 35. Yeah, They that, had to grind that game Antonio out. The way Antonio Brown got the 298 was just a crossing route, which, he, which was, I think, a, a five-yard dink and dunk pass. But A.B. took, I think, 80 yards to set the Steelers up for in field goal range. It was a tie game. Boz hit the game winner that year. But I'm going to review myself. 297 yards receiving yeah, by Antonio absurd. Brown is what it took to beat that Raiders team. It's absurd. You are you don't have Antonio Brown anymore. You're not going to have someone who can get you 300 yards on their own to beat one team. I said this last night, and I think it rings true. I think the Raiders are one of, if not the bogey team for the Pittsburgh Steelers in the NFL. And what a bogey team is, is it's not like a Patriots. It's not like a Ravens. It's not a team where, oh, a good team. Yeah, it's not a team where it's like, oh, if we lose this game, you know, that happens. You lose to the Patriots. Bogey teams are teams that you always think you should beat, and they somehow get the upper hand more times than not. Year in, year out. Perfect example, Penguins and Islanders. Mm -hmm. Whenever the Penguins get the Islanders in the playoffs, everybody's kind of like, okay, that's the best matchup we could have gotten, and then the Islanders send us home. So bogey team, I think, is the Vegas Raiders. Absolutely. Uh, you, do you remember that one? Um, before you get serious history, 13-10 to 10 in favor of the Raiders as far as – so they're more successful in the history. They do have a split in the playoffs. They've each won six games apiece in their 12 playoff games. When was the last time they faced off in the playoffs? Uh, like 1984 or something like that. It's been a long, long time. One of the most – historically great rivalries in the NFL, Absolutely. even if that rivalry hasn't gotten playoff play yeah, in it, this it, modern era. It hit era. its peak in the 70s. No question. Sure. And it started in the 70s and reached its peak there, but still. There's going to be some old fogies at Heinz Field on Sunday that hate the Raiders more than the Ravens, more than the Bengals, right. more than the Browns. We don't more have, than we don't we don't have that, that at all. We, Other than that, I'm terrified of them because why do we always lose to them? Right. I don't necessarily hate them, but I am afraid of them. Yes, very much so. And... What scares me the most about this Raiders team is Darren Waller, that tight end. He ain't even a tight end. He's that's not a, a tight that's end. a wide receiver. What are they doing lining him up at tight? I mean, really, why? He's, I don't know. He's more of a receiver, even though George Kittle and and Gronk during his peak era and and Travis Kelsey now, they're great receiving options. They fit the tight end build so much better than he does. I don't know why is he not a receiver. I mean, I just don't get it. Because he, they he want because they want the mismatches. They want teams to line linebackers up against him. He wants to go up against the safety if he has to. So, listen, if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think you got to bracket this guy. I think you got to really have two guys watching him on every down. Uh, it's not really like you have to worry about anybody else because Derek Carr seems to only want to target Darren Waller. Nineteen carries. I just targets. Went, I just went. Sorry, nineteen. Sorry, nineteen targets. I just I just emphasized two hundred and ninety-seven yards by Antonio Brown. I can use the same emphasis. Nineteen targets to a tight end in Week One. It's absurd. You don't see you don't see wide receivers getting nineteen targets, Tom. No, it's not a good recipe for success. You need to spread that ball out if you're the offense. I know I'm saying that, and the Raiders came away with a win against the Ravens, but still, I, you just can't throw the ball to one guy nineteen times. Everybody's going to know where the ball's going, and then they're going to know who to take away. So how the Steelers take him away? I listen. If you're going to bracket him. Or, excuse me, if you're going to have Joe Schobert cover him, he needs help over top. He needs to have a bracket with him because it is a fool's errand in the NFL mm -hmm. to just ask a linebacker to cover Darren Waller one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, Joe Schobert's one of the better cover linebackers in the league. It's one of many reasons why Colbert and the Steelers went out and got him. But 
it's no dig on him to say no. you're going to need help against a guy like Darren Waller. And honestly, I think you'll see a lot of Schobert and Edmonds on bracket coverage. But if you have to break away from that bracket and say Carr is spreading the ball around, so you need to you know allocate some coverage in other areas, I think the one guy that can handle Darren Waller one-on-one is Minka Fitzpatrick. I think he's physical enough, and I think he's definitely fast enough to take him out of the football game. And one little wrinkle that we saw in week one that no one was expecting was the usage of Trey Norwood and Minka Fitzpatrick where you could drop Trey Norwood back into the safety spot, mm-hmm. have Minka kind of creep up into the slot. I think you might, based on how well Trey Norwood played with a very, very high workload for a seventh-round pick in week one, mm-hmm. I will at least expect the Steelers to start the game against the Raiders on Sunday doing that a lot, having Minka slide up into that slot, take Darren Waller out one-on-one, and have Norwood drop back and play that free safety role. I mean, we saw Norwood get the start. I mean, He played uh, 80% of the snaps. Sorry, not get the start, but get 80% of the snaps. So I have no problem if that's the scheme you want to roll up. Tomlin knows to kind of take a page out of Bill Belichick's book to try to negate your opposing offense's biggest threat. And there is only one threat. It's not just it's the biggest and there are other guys you have to keep tabs on. This is the only threat you have. the only one you have to worry about, man. Josh Jacobs, I know we just talked some, we spent some time recently talking about how the, the run defense for the Steelers, if you could ask for an improvement that'd be the only thing you look for on defense from their performance against the Bills but god dang it I mean even though the Bills yes they had Stephon Diggs I I don't think it's out of this world to say that Darren Waller is a better tight end than Stephon Diggs is a receiver a wide receiver rather I think Darren Waller is that good. You have to game plan for him. What's his size? That's what makes him so much different. It's just his size is a problem and his speed is a problem and he's got great hands. I mean, the guy is a dynamo. I think, you know, Mm -hmm. Kittle and and Kelsey get the shine. But I was saying this on uh, the shameless plug here, listen to the Advanced Scout podcast with me and Matt Williamson at Steelers.com. But I I was saying to him, you know, I I think Kelsey, obviously the best tight end in football, but over the past uh, two or three years, Receptions-wise and yardage-wise, number two has been Darren Waller, not George Kittle. So I think you can really make the case that he's the number two guy behind um, Travis Kelsey. It's just that he doesn't get the shine for whatever reason, whether it's be playing with a team that hasn't been as good as the Kittles and the Kelsey's teams have been. Yeah, Kittle made the Super Bowl two years ago. Against Kelsey. So maybe that's why. And, of course, Kittle and Kelsey are very uh, charismatic, outspoken characters of guys you really don't hear much from Darren Waller. He's a very quiet keep to himself guy and, and a really hell of a story too he was on the practice squad dealt with a lot of problems and a practice squad in baltimore dealt with a lot of problems in his life and was able to get things back on track last year and now the sky's the limit for this guy he is an all pro caliber t- kind of weapon and uh, what you said about you know there's no one else to really worry about i do agree with that for the most part but it's not because josh jacobs isn't talented I think it's because Gruden just stops using him at some points. So when the Raiders are winning in football games, Josh Jacobs touches the ball 62% of the time on the offense. I mean, that's the fulcrum right there. Mm-hmm. But when the Raiders go down on the scoreboard, for whatever reason, he only touches the ball 39% of the time. So Gruden kind of takes him. Does that sound him. familiar to you, Tom? I don't get it, man. Gruden kind of takes uh, You know why I don't get it either? Because it's not like, okay, we're behind, so we're not running the ball. Josh Jacobs is really effective in the passing game really as well. Good. So I just don't see why Gruden takes him out of the game plan when the Raiders go down. But that being said, 
hey, if you want to shoot yourself in the foot, go ahead. Steelers get out to that early lead, and hopefully yeah. you won't have to worry about their second best threat on the offense, which I would say is Josh Jacobs. Yeah, he definitely is the second biggest threat, but like I mentioned earlier, it's almost every other guy is a non-factor compared to Waller. Waller is really, I think, that good at his position compared to everyone else at their respective positions. That You have to make sure you have him locked up. And not so much so that you have him locked up, but you keep the other guys exposed to exploit you, or you leave the other guys capable to exploit you, such as Josh Jacobs or Henry Ruggs third or Hunter Renfro. I don't think those guys will be much of a factor. I mean... I don't see it where the, the Steelers go overdrive and, and game planning for, for Waller where they completely neglect the receivers or, or the two running backs. I don't see that as a possibility. Well, the other two receivers are Hunter Renfro and Henry Ruggs. I, I think they're upset with Henry Ruggs. It's only his second year in the league, so you still got some time left. But, you know, that's supposed to be the deep threat burner kind of guy. He was really good at Alabama in college and just hasn't really panned out for the Raiders yet as far as uh, – He's going to be a deep threat burner guy. Let me rephrase this. He's going to be a deep threat burner guy. They wanted him to be the number one wide receiver. Well, I think I heard this during the Monday Night Football broadcast. The the Steve Levy and Lewis Riddick one, not the Eli and Peyton one. Which, by the way, Riddick and Levy and Greasy, that's probably the best Monday Night crew they've had in a long time. Probably and it stinks since that they're Tariko take, and Gruden alone. And it stinks that they're taking away from it. By, by doing the Manning Peyton. thing, yeah. Is that all season long, Peyton and Eli? I think it's supposed to be. Oh, man, that stinks. Because they are really good. Bob Greasy, too. I forgot to include him with the other two guys. Um, but I think I heard them say that um, Derek Carr had mentioned throughout the offseason that Henry Ruggs uh, has, like, this incredible work ethic. He can be as ta- he can be as talented as anyone, saying even more so talented than Darren Waller is at the tight end position. But yeah, you just see him kind of underutilized or he just hasn't really proven himself to be this this typical wide receiver one, even though he has the potential to be so. Um, Let's talk about Derek Carr. You, you just mentioned him and the quote he gave about rugs in the offseason. I am going to put a Tom Opperman stamp on this take right here. He is the most underrated quarterback in the NFL. We mentioned how uh, Josh Allen improved year after year. Uh, when we were previewing the Bills last week, I-, I think you could say pretty much the same, not to the extent of Allen, but you can say the same for Derek Carr. And the big spike that he's had is he's pushing the ball down the field more on average. He's averaging in 2020 8.5 yards per pass attempt down the field. That was up from 6.9 in 2019, and it was 7.1 in 2018. So I'd love he's, to know what that number is for Ben Roethlisberger. So he's that's it's obviously it's in the exact opposite direction of Derek Carr. Derek Carr is going down the field more. Ben is not going down the field at all. But yeah, Derek Carr I think is so underrated. He had career highs in passing yardage and passer rating last season. Say what you want about John Gruden as a, a full-time football coach. As an offensive guy, though, he can still scheme it up with some of the best of them, he and he's very quarterback-friendly. I mean, he won a Super Bowl with Brad Johnson as his quarterback, for God's sake. So <laughs> I think Derek Carr, he's not top 10 in my mind just yet, but he's that guy that's at 11, that guy at 12 that's really sniffing around. And it's a shame that not more people know about him because any given Sunday, to steal a cliche from everybody ever, 
he can beat <laughs> you in the on a football field. He's he's that good of a quarterback. He's he's someone that, and I don't think this is going to happen because I think the Raiders might be decent this year, and he's a good quarterback. But he's someone that would be perfect for the Steelers to bring in after Ben Roethlisberger and literally not miss a beat, if not get maybe a little bit better. That's how much I like Derek Carr. And uh, again, you know, I, I think he is kind of under the radar around the league, and, and that's why he can be so dangerous is because he, he comes into your town and you're like, eh, it's a car, brother. I mean, what's he really going to do? And the next thing you know, 400 yards are on your head and he's thrown for three touchdowns. I mean, I kind of feel bad for Derek Carr because he led the Raiders to 12-4 and record, but then he got hurt in that week. Matt McGloin had game. to start the playoff game. There's like, no way the Raiders go on the road against Houston. I don't, I don't think that's... I think that was the year Houston drafted, like that next offseason is when they drafted Deshaun Watson. So it's pre-Deshaun Watson. You're telling me that Derek Carr, after leading the Raiders to their first winning season since, what, 2003 or 2002, is going to lose that road playoff game in Houston? No chance. So there was really unfortunate circumstances for Derek Carr to go down with a season-ending injury at the very tail end of that year. And then the next thing that happens is uh, John Gruden comes in, gets rid of Khalil Mack. Uh, gets rid of Amari Cooper, and then there's rumors in this this offseason that he wants Khalil Mack back from the <laughs> Buffalo or from the the Chicago Bears. Excuse me, and it's like, what oh are you doing, gosh. dude? You just had that guy. Oh like, gosh, hey, man, wild. we got to you know we got to improve our pass rush here, man. We got to <laughs> get this guy like Khalil Mack, man. He's great. Uh, yeah, John, we uh, had him. <laughs> what the hell, man? How the hell did you let me trade him? Like, exactly. Seriously, I mean, you you had a great team surrounding Carr. And luckily, I mean, I don't know if this is really... Matt Williamson said it best. Gruden's a good coach still. He's a terrible team builder. He cannot build a team. Yeah, I think he's kind of stumbled into guys like Josh Jacobs and and Henry Ruggs and Darren Waller. I don't think he was intentional when when he went out and got those guys. I mean, you saw... I mean, in in addition to all that, A.B. was supposed to be a Raider, was supposed to have this great duo tandem with Derek Carr. Didn't even last, I think, a month on that team. He played one preseason game, but he didn't even play in the game. I think he just dressed on the sidelines. He was just there for it. Yeah. I mean, really, just Gruden is a great coach, but I I think he's stumbled. Great pump the brakes. He's a good coach. He's a good coach. I mean, he's a Super Bowl winning coach. If he was my offensive coordinator, I think we'd have one of the best offenses in football. He's not going to ever do that anymore. He'll never take that job. Um, if anything, the next job he takes is back in that back Monday in the night studio, football yeah. booth or, or wherever, whichever studio will take him. But I think he's really stumbled into a good team, which is hilarious because there, he has a lot of really good pieces. Max Crosby, which we haven't talked about yet, which we, we can soon later. But like but you just said, another guy who I don't think there was any like intention of, of when they went out and got him and said, Oh, Max Crosby is going to be one of the best edge defenders in this league. Well, no. he, was, he was kind of an afterthought because the, the big guy on the line that they drafted in that draft class was Clellan Farrell out mm-hmm. of Clemson, and everybody was kind of saying when they picked him in the first round. A little early. That's a reach on him. Yeah. Well, fast forward to this past draft. Alex Leatherwood was their first-round pick, the tackle Another out of reach. Alabama. Everybody was saying a little early, and this one is where he really stepped in it because Leatherwood's their sp- starting tackle on the right side, and he got whooped mightily in that game, whether it was Max Crosby or whoever they decided to line up opposite of him. 
Uh, excuse me, that's the other way around. The Ravens. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of Big Algin, his ass right. beat by Max Crosby, which was a whole nother thing. But Leatherwood got beat too a lot, and that's something I would be licking my chops for if I was TJ Watt this week because Absolutely. I think the NFL is just too fast for Leatherwood right now. I think it's he's a li- think so too. the shoes are a little too big for him right now. He's not ready to be a starter in this league yet, and that's what everybody seemed to keep telling Gruden, mm-hmm. but he took him in the first round anyway because obviously the measurables are off the charts with this guy. Right. But he's just not ready to step in there, and I think the Steelers are a little lucky that they get him in week two because I think if you get him in like week seven or eight, they might realize that, and he's not your starting tackle anymore. But he will be on Sunday, and I think he can get whooped up badly by T.J. Watt. And again, that would just spell disaster for Derek Derek Carr, Carr. who I do think, like you said, is capable of winning almost any NFL game he goes into. Let's not forget that the Raiders, I think even though – They split games between the Chiefs last year. They still kept that second game very, very interesting. I mean, I think they handed the Chiefs the first loss of the season last year in 2020. It was the final score was something like 40 to 32 or 41 to 33. It was a one. It was close to a one possession game, but the Raiders still won it. Very much so an upset. And then that second game, I think it was in. I think each road team won. The second game was a Monday Night Football game. And again, this is just the magic of Patrick Mahomes. Derek Carr led his team on what could have been a game-winning drive, but just left a little too much time on that clock for Patrick Mahomes to come back and and get the final score, get the final word in. That's a great point. The Raiders and Derek Carr have been the one team that's kind of pushed the Chiefs in the past couple of years. And again, they won one and lost one last year, but... In the one they lost, like you said, they push him. Like when the Chiefs face right. the Raiders, it's a football game every time. It's a time. football game, and I think a lot of that has to go to the credit of Derek Carr. Yeah. I just think this guy can be a winner, and we've talked about it in the past, and you mentioned it when we first started talking about him today. It would not be the worst move in the world for the Steelers in the postman era to say, that could be our guy moving forward. This guy is young, he's got the arm. And he knows how to win football games. Something a, a, a young Ben Roethlisberger kind of similar molds, if you will. On the defensive side of the ball, it's Max Crosby. Usually Crosby is the hero in Pittsburgh, but he will play the villain <laughs> on Sunday at Heinz Field. Uh, listen, uh, we talked about how Darren Wall is a great story. Just need to touch on the story of Max Crosby. This is a guy that dealt with alcoholism last season and checked himself into rehab this offseason. He didn't have training, or he did have training camp. He didn't have any offseason workouts, OTAs, mm-hmm. minicamp, because he was he was trying to get his life back on track off the football field, and he did so. And it's an incredible story and uh, an incredible accomplishment for him to to get himself back on the right track and and get that demon off his back of alcoholism and. He's poised to have a really good year now yeah. in Vegas, and he started off with a great game against the Baltimore Ravens. Two sacks. He was beating Leatherwood's ass all night long. He was in Lamar Jackson's Big kitchen. House. You did it again. Oh, my God. Because they're, they're both so bad. <laughs> they're both, so, they're both bad. so terrible at football. Yeah, he's beating Big Al's ass all day long. He was in Lamar Jackson's grill all day long, and – that worries me a little bit because, yeah, on the one side we're like, oh, T.J. Watt's going to destroy Alex Leatherwood, who's the Raiders tackle. But are you that confident that Chooks is going to be able to candle Max Crosby? Chooks looked I the worst it. of any lineman in week one, and now he's got a much tougher t- – Jerry Hughes is good, don't get me wrong, and the Bills have a good pass rush. But Max Crosby's a, a superstar in the making, honestly, at that position, and it, it's nerve-wracking to see him line up against Chooks a lot. He's going to get a lot of recognition this year, Max Crosby is, and I think – 
Choose a core for it can add to that resume that Max Crosby is building after just that one week, one performance against the Ravens. Watt and Crosby might neutralize each other. Watt's way ahead of Crosby, but because of the tackles they're going up against, they might have the same output. Crosby may have just as good, if not better, of a day. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's just because which which mismatch do you think the defensive guy has the edge over? Crosby on Chukes or TJ on on Leatherwood. TJ on Leatherwood just because TJ is a defensive player of the year and Crosby's not there yet. But he's trending that way. So you got to keep an oh, eye on him I expect for sure. if, if he stays healthy, if what we saw in week one is going to be extrapolated across the whole season in terms of production, I think Crosby's making a Pro Bowl, if not second team all, all pro. Oh, of course. I mean, like you said with TJ Watt, he's on pace for what, 34 yeah. sacks this I mean, year? You, I'm not saying you extrapolate those numbers, but if, if he kind of keeps up a pace. That's Pro Bowl numbers. That's that's all pro numbers. One thing that you do have going for you if you're the Steelers in, in neutralizing Max Crosby is he might not have much help as far as the guys on the defensive line with him. Yannick Ngakwe left the game early mm-hmm. against the Ravens and was questionable to return, and he did not return in that game. He's questionable right now. He was limited in Raiders practice Wednesday. It was a walkthrough, so this is a lot of estimation for them. But he was limited in that walkthrough with that hamstring injury. Uh, Carl Nassib, the defensive end that forced the fumble against Lamar Jackson to set the Raiders up for the win in that game, he did not practice or participate in the walkthrough dealing with a peck-slash-toe injury. Mm. And Gerald McCoy, their defensive tackle, very good defensive tackle, dealing with a knee injury, did not participate in the walkthrough either. So obviously we'll have to take a look at the injury report today, and we'll report back Friday if any statuses have changed. But as it stands right now, it looks like it's the Max Crosby show, and it looks like Clellan Farrell, who is a full participant, will be back this week too. But... You know, other than that, it might be the Steelers might just get lucky enough where they can really scheme to Holy. stop Max Crosby because there's no Ngakwe, there's no Gerald McCoy to worry about. If Ngakwe and McCoy are healthy, though, those three are a problem for a pretty, you know, for any inexperienced NFL team, offensive yeah. line that the Steelers have. I, don't, I mean, yes, especially for the Steelers, but for any NFL team, that is, we talk about how great the Steelers front three is. The D line between Stefan Tuway, Cam Hayward, and Tyson Alawalu. Signing Gerald McCoy, who was a great member of the Tampa Bay defense for a long time, that was a surprise getting. And then obviously getting Yannick Agakwe from the the Ravens after the one year rental they had uh, from Minnesota. I think the Raiders D line is going to be a top five if they can stay healthy, right? Because right now it looks like they're only limited with one guy available to them in Max Crosby. But if Ngakwe, McCoy, and Crosby are all healthy, this is easily, in my mind, a top five defensive line. Well, here here's the thing I'd say about that. The Raiders, in the three seasons that Gruden's been their head coach, have given up the most points of any defense in the NFL and have the fewest sacks in the NFL. So they need to have an improved defensive line. They need yeah, that to, needs to change. They need to increase the pressure on the quarterback. It's a passing league. If you can't sack the quarterback, you're not going to be successful in the NFL. I mean, it's the Steelers' bread and butter for the past four seasons. But that's definitely the area that they need the most improvement in is rushing the passer. They get Gerald McCoy. They draft. They go out and they get Carl Nassib in free agency a couple years ago. They draft guys like Crosby. They draft guys like Clone Farrell. They sign Yannick Ngakwe. I mean, they're really pouring a lot into improving this pass rush. And so far, so good, because it was very effective in week one against the Ravens. And supposedly, they're interested in Khalil Mack as well. 
Supposedly, <laughs> but I don't know. I don't think the Bears are going to make that happen. I just have a feeling that that's a little. T- if he traded two first round or three first round picks for Khalil Mack, I mean that's just insanity. But I wouldn't put anything past John Gruden. But yeah, uh, they really are investing a lot into increasing that pass rush, and it's going to be interesting to see what that translates to, not just in the Steelers game on Sunday, but throughout the entirety of this season. Mm-hmm. Will they be a more prolific pass rushing team? If they are. I think that their defense can improve slightly and get to the point where, yeah, they're they're flirting with that seven six seed in the playoff spot. Yeah, I mean it's possible. It's especially if they if they can beat the Steelers on Sunday to start the season two zero with wins against back to back AFC North opponents. That's going to put you on the map for sure. No question about it. Especially two teams like the Ravens and the Steelers, who, I mean, they're. The reputation precedes them as far as the NFL is concerned. That being said, so does the Raiders, a a marquee franchise as well. That's going to do it for this episode of the Steelers Standard, though. Thanks, as always, for giving us a listen. You can listen to some of our older stuff on Apple, Spotify, or Steelers.com. Really, wherever you get your podcasts, just make sure you download and subscribe to them. We really enjoy it when you guys do that, and we thank you again for listening. For Jacob Recht, I am Tom Offerman, and we will talk to you on our next edition of the Steelers Standard.